Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 85. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode here. If you're a regular listener to the show, you know how I feel about leadership. It is definitely the difference maker and the deal breaker. You know it's how we grow organizations. It's how we impact lives. And you also know that leadership is something we don't simply talk about here. Leadership is the action we are required and obligated to live out. Many of you know that I recently became a John Maxwell certified coach, teacher, and speaker. And with that, I can offer you workshops, seminars, keynote speaking, and coaching, helping you and aiding you in your personal and professional growth through study and practical application of John Maxwell's proven methods. Working together, I can move you, your team, and your organization in the desired direction to reach your goals. You know I'm passionate about leadership here. You know, one of the many lessons I've learned over the past few months working with John Maxwell and his team is that leaders add value by serving others. And I'd like to serve you, helping you reach your purpose, your vision, and your goals through an intentional plan of development. You can find out more information at doseofleadership.com. Contact me. I'm looking forward to assisting you on your journey to becoming a more successful leader. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce my next guest. He's Tim Marks. He's one of the co-founders of Life. As a business leader, a Christian husband, and a father, Tim speaks on business stages across North America every year to tens of thousands of people. He's a recognized expert in building successful leadership communities and a sought-after business mentor and life coach. He's an author of two great books. Um, his first one, Voyage of a Viking, and his uh, newly released book just came out shortly, a little while ago, Confidence of a Champion. Tim, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Uh, thanks, Richard. I am very... Uh Glad to be on here with you. Excited to talk to you today. Well, I'm a huge fan of you. I'm a huge fan because uh, I like to talk about you know stories of of uh, you know resiliency and bouncing back. And you've got a great personal story. I mean, uh, your books are full of them. Voyage of a Viking, which we'll dive into here, and also Confidence Champion is is all about bouncing back from ad- adversity. And so, tell the you know tell our listeners of your background and your story. I mean, you've got some great uh, obstacles and hurdles you've overcome, and uh, just share your story with us, please. All right. Well, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I was just reading a manuscript. Uh, one of my good friends, who's also uh, he's a best-selling author, Chris Brady, has written a new book called Tales. And in there, he he cites the quote, uh, and he's talking about struggle, and he cites the quote, uh, "Fall down ninety-nine, get up one hundred." <laughs> and it's kind of funny, I've wondered about that quote my whole life, and I wonder if anybody else felt the same way I did. He actually said, that quote only applies to people who are bad at mathematics, because you can't possibly get up more times than you've fallen down, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and and that kind of makes me think about most people's lives, though. People like that quote, because they think, well, if I just get up one more time, and, and sometimes that isn't the case, but it's not always true. Sometimes... You got to get up, and you got to change direction. Uh, uh, you know, you got to learn from the mistake that you just made. Why did you just fall down? And so, uh, I look back over my life, and, and you know, I don't think I'm much different than many people, other than maybe I made a couple different decisions along the way by the grace of God. But um, you know, I grew up in a 
I'll say, a normal home up in uh, Swartz Creek, Michigan, which is just outside of Flint, just north of Detroit, Michigan. And, and uh, uh, I say a normal home because it was a broken home. I just have a father, and uh father figure around, saw him maybe once every six weeks, whatever. And and uh, back then, they didn't know what dyslexia was or ADD, but uh, later on in life, I was diagnosed with both. And uh, they just thought I wasn't applying myself, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, mom worked two, three jobs trying to raise us and um, just, uh, you know, struggled. We didn't have any money, but we never missed a meal that I can remember. And, you know, my mom just always did a really good job. So she taught me to, you know, work hard and be who you say you are, be on time, be polite, and, you know, try to try to do what's right. And, and not really any faith background at all until later on in life. But anyhow... I uh, went through high school and, and uh, you know, just, just a low self-image. Didn't didn't succeed at all uh, academically, which obviously is viewed as very important. Um, and I believe it is, too, not in a, maybe the traditional sense, but I, I believe in a, a leadership, a library education. That's why, you know, Richard, I appreciate what you're doing so much. Your dose of leadership is uh, you're teaching people foundational things that will help them in, in their entire life where, um, you know, I can't remember the last time I factored up quadratic equation you know we learn all these things right and so so you know most of us can look back at some of the things that we learned maybe we struggled with and then we we create our uh, self-image from that and our self-esteem stems from that the way we view ourselves you know I, I was just telling somebody the other day I I graduated high school with a 1.8 grade point average oh my and I didn't, yeah, and I did not even graduate in May. My my high school diploma literally has whiteout on it. It says May of 1987. That's whited out to August of 1987. I actually got my high school diploma. And uh, it was all because of the way that I taught myself. You know, it wasn't because I was stupid. My, and matter of fact, they, they checked my IQ. I don't remember what it was. But I remember them saying your IQ is actually higher than average, so you're just not applying so I had a high IQ, but the problem was I was dyslexic, so kind of a weird situation. So um, anyhow, so that that's kind of how I started out. And of course, uh, told my wife, uh, "Hey, if you want to, uh, you know, be rich, you can come marry me. I'm going to be an engineer, and you won't have to work." Because she just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I said, uh, "I'll be an engineer, and uh, we'll be rich. We'll just need to snow that by a snow shovel, get all the money in the front doors." What I thought, you know, I, was, <laughs> I just really thought for some reason. I was going to be a multimillionaire as an engineer just because I, nobody in my family ever made money. Nobody in my family ever went to college, which I, I went to three and a half years of college. And uh, uh turned out not to be true, of course. But uh, we went through some struggles and eventually got involved in real estate. And, um, and uh, you know, that created a whole set of problems. And ultimately, um, Richard, I, I ended up getting involved with a group of folks that, taught me some great principles about leadership and I was able to get my life uh, back on track and certainly, uh, and I'm not perfect, I don't have everything figured out, but it sure does make a heck of a lot more sense than it used to. Um, so that's, that's you know, me in a nutshell. I don't know how much detail you want me to get into. Well, I, yeah. pretty great I think it was great. There's a couple of things I want to go back to, and, and you've glossed over some important things I want to share with the, the listeners, and, and uh, you're off, being awfully humble and modest, but I think it's 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 important to get to some of these. But first, when you were going through the ADD dyslexic piece, I, I'm curious to know, did you feel like you were stupid back then? I mean, were people saying, hey, you're not implying yourself? Did you feel like, or did you always know that you had something unique and special in your heart? I'm just interested in how, how you were feeling back then. 
Well, I, you know, it was kind of a Jekyll Hyde experience because, yeah, you know, I, I think like many children or, you know, teenagers, where, wherever you're at in life, I, I can remember it in my pre-teens and teens thinking I was going to do something big. Right. Like, I didn't even really know who God was or what I thought. I didn't understand all that. I just felt like I was supposed to do something big. But at the same time, I felt like I was a loser. Yeah. Because I'd sit and I would study for a test, and I couldn't pass the dang thing. No matter what I did, you know, the, the letters would jump around, or, and, uh, or I, my mind would wander. I couldn't do long division, whatever, you name it. And uh, matter of fact, in sixth grade, I got straight Fs. Wow. I flunked every single class. And my mom pulled me out of... Uh, the public school where uh, we were living, took me into the city, uh, lived with my grandma and grandpa for half a year, put me in a public school there in the city, walked out of there, and uh, she ended up taking me to a parochial school and uh, begged the nuns, because at this point I'm already a grade behind and they were going to keep you back again um, in sixth grade, and she begged them to put me in seventh grade if I'd stay over and do home or whatever. And, uh, man, they took me under the wing and helped me, and that's, that's really where life turned around because I, I was lost. I remember sitting at the table crying and just, just feeling like a total loser outcast because all the other kids, it seemed that, uh, you know, they got it. They all passed their tests and did well. Well, they, you always have that one kid in class, I guess, and maybe he thought the same as me, but there's this kid that ate glue. Name was Dan. <laughs> I never forget him. I, he was the only guy that made me feel a little bit better. Yeah, at least, at least you were eating glue, right? Okay. He probably looked at me. He felt the same way, you know. <laughs> but um, anyhow, so yeah, I mean, I remember uh, nothing against my mom, but she didn't know any better. I remember her cuffing me in the side of the head and calling me stupid, and you're not applying yourself. And I'm working so hard, and I just couldn't get it, no matter how hard I tried. And uh, and I just didn't know the answer. I didn't know how to do it. And it was it wasn't until decades later, a couple decades later, that uh, I would meet Owen Woodward, who would eventually become my uh, mentor. And he actually helped me through some techniques of reading overcome the dyslexia. I still have it, obviously, but it's way better in ADD. I'm actually able to not only read, but I've written a couple books now. So I mean, just just amazing what you can do if you just don't give up. So I guess my message to anybody out there who feels stupid or less, you're comparing yourself to somebody else, you shouldn't because your story is just different than them. And you might have to work a little bit harder in certain areas, but you can overcome. Well, I love that. And I love the idea that it was in the, uh, I was going to kind of ask what was the aha moment. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me that it was decades later that you kind of over overcame or really understood how to deal with the dyslexia um, effectively, so that and because you accomplished a lot even before you kind of tackled that, I guess. I mean, I'm looking here. You were the tenacity that you had coming out of high school, you know, becoming a welder. You said, "I'm going to be an, an electrical engineer," and you went and you applied yourself and you did all that. How did you make it through engineering school with the dyslexia? And not really, well, not fully. Well, I tell you, this was a humbling experience. So, so I worked in this manufacturing plant. We made uh, ASME cold vessels and air handling systems. Really a great company, and uh, that's where I served my electrical apprenticeship program. And and uh, I was out bending a piece of conduit one day, working on my journeyman, and, and some guy was standing there drinking coffee, watching us work. And I said, uh, "Hey, what what does that guy do?" He said, "Well, that's an engineer." I said, "Well, I want to be an engineer. I can drink coffee, you know." That's <laughs> actually kind of how I became an engineer, and. Uh, I got into engineering school. It was actually a, a small community college. My plan was I'd go there. I had to go there for three years, and then I could go to a university. But anyhow, I had to hire a kid who was at a two pay grades lower than me 
to tutor me. This was a college student intern that worked at the plant that I worked at, but he was a whiz kid, 4.0, just smart uh, kid. I had to hire him. I was only making 13 or $14 an hour on my job as an electrician, maybe 15 But I was paying him 10 bucks an hour to um, tutor me in math, science, whatever it took. This kid knew it all. So he would tutor me, and, and we had an agreement that he wouldn't tell anybody that uh, he was tutoring me. If I wanted to, I could, and I didn't tell very many people. And uh, I'm very thankful um, this kid's name was Brian. Eventually, I ended up hiring him when I was an engineering manager on down the road. I ended up hiring him, and he worked for me. He's a great, great kid. But anyhow, man, talk about a humbling experience. Yeah. To hire some little kid, uh, the way I viewed it then, I was probably 23 and he was 18, to uh, tutor me. So he used to come to my apartment. My wife was sitting there watching me be tutored by all intents and purposes, this little kid that just got out of high school. Wow. Boy, he's smart. And, and so I was going to do whatever it took. I knew I had to work harder. I'll work harder. I'll learn more. I'll do whatever I have to. So that's how I got through it. So you're sitting there doing this at nights, working uh, your regular job, eventually becoming an electrician, you know, but you still had dreams of financial freedom, and that kind of what's led to the real estate piece, right? And so um, you kind of, in a short order, uh, were you flipping houses or just rentals? What, were, what was the, the idea behind that? Well, I did a little of both. So what happened there was, that, you know, as I climbed up the corporate ladder, and certainly I am not against corporate America. I know a lot of people love it, and that's for them. But it just, I found that, you know, the ladder, as I climbed to the top, they were grooming me to be a plant manager at this point, somewhere down the road, uh, for sure, like a higher-level engineering. I'm working at a bigger, way bigger company at this point. And uh, I noticed the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And uh, so I said, well... I need to do something different because my wife was getting ready to leave me. I'm working so many hours. I'm trying to explain to her I'm doing this for you. And we had uh, uh, just our son at the time, and uh, we had now have four children. But anyhow, um, I was trying to explain to her, honey, I'm doing this for you. I'm working all these hours for you. She said, I don't buy all this stuff. I'll live in a cardboard box, and you know, back and forth and back and forth. And of course, some of it was I, I was getting recognition at work. I was being promoted on fast track and all that. So, um, Anyhow, we come to Florida from Michigan on vacation, and I kind of fell in love with her again. That was a turning point. And I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I heard, hey, people make money in real estate. So I bought every kind of real estate program that you could possibly get. And I actually was on one of those late-night infomercials for a couple of years. Right, right. And, uh, kind of a funny story. But anyhow, uh, I bought, uh, in nine months, I bought 33 units. 30, uh, I don't remember how many different properties. But I had 33 units. And... Uh, um, built up a pretty decent network. But of course, you know, network is only on paper. You can't really pay your bills with it. And, and uh, so I got so big, I eventually had to hire a property manager to handle my properties for me. Otherwise, I mean, I was working a job still. And so my plan was to get enough rentals built up where I could overcome my cash flow as an engineer and then be able to quit. Right. And spend more time with my family, financial independence. And uh, so that, that didn't work out. This uh, person uh, missed appropriated some funds and, and, uh, um, you know, long story, but anyhow, it was a very, uh, she, she tell you the kind of person it was, she left her husband for the maintenance man that worked for her because her husband got cancer. So oh I didn't find out until after. So you know, she wasn't a real trustworthy person. And, uh, anyhow, a lot of my properties were empty and I went to drive by and there's toilets and all off the second story window and dump and people would, 
built radar transmissions in the living rooms. And, I mean, just my goodness, it was a uh, it was a nightmare. So, so the real estate thing didn't work out for me, and uh, you know, I, I know it does for some people, but I really tried. I worked hard, and, and God had a different plan for me. And, uh, wasn't too long after that that uh, I got involved with leadership and, and started uh, speaking and training and so. Awesome. Well, I think that's important to realize that you're at this point. You were, if if I'm correct, if the figures are right, were you over a million dollars in debt at that point with with the real estate? Yeah, well, one one point three at one point, including my primary residence. I was three months behind my mortgage, so wow. you know at this point I'm out building my uh, leadership community and trying to teach people how to become financially independent. And uh, I didn't have any money myself, but I wasn't teaching them what I knew. I was teaching them what the people were teaching me to, you know. Right. And, uh, well, that's that's the beauty part about leadership is you can stand on the shoulders of giants. And so, literally, our, our credit card, I was trying to charge groceries, and our credit cards were bouncing. She didn't know how to buy groceries, and it was just a really tough time. And I got in a lawsuit with a property manager, and uh, it was a, just a really, really dark time in my life. And I remember coming home one night um, after I worked on one of my own home. I'm trying to get them all fixed up so I get this fire sale at this point. Um, and I'm working my engineering job, and I'm trying to build uh, my new uh, leadership business. And uh, uh, I remember seeing my son. He was probably four years old at the time, and he was waiting up for me. He had fallen asleep on the couch there. And uh, I just found out that a deal that I was trying to get to go through, I was going to sell these two houses, refinance one, was going to give us enough money to at least be able to pay the bill by maybe a couple Christmas presents. It didn't. It went south, Ugh. and uh, I remember just feeling like such a failure. And uh, I, I literally broke down and cried over him that night. And I just uh, he took care of me, obviously, but I was crying. I was telling him, you know, hey, Daddy, blew it. I, uh, I feel like such a loser, and you know, but I'm gonna figure it out somehow, some way. And so this was the second time that I went broke, and it would happen actually again one more time <laughs> later on. And so I've, I've learned a lesson now. I hope and. Uh, way more conservative now and, and really uh, watch who I take advice from nowadays, you know. So, anyhow, yeah, it was a, it was a tough time, but $1.3 million in debt, $15,000 a month going backwards cash flow-wise. It was, it was a, not a fun time in my life. Uh, my stomach's in knots just thinking about it and picturing going. I never thought bankruptcy. You know, my lawyers tell me, just file bankruptcy. It's all business debt. You can discharge it. And, and, you know, I understand there's time and place for it, but for me, I just felt convicted. You know, I I looked him in the eye and I said, Jim, I I signed my name on a piece of paper. And I told these people I would pay them back, and I'm going to pay them back. So I did every last bit of the debt I paid back. Wow. What kept you going? What was the What was the core belief or the conviction that kept the tenacity alive? Well, um, honestly, it was, uh, I just felt that there was no doubt in my mind that I was called to do what I was doing. Now, when I start, I got hooked up with Warren Woodward and Chris Bray, we started building this leadership uh, community, and I just felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. And uh, I, I can't say I didn't have a doubt. I was like, really, God, if this is what I'm supposed to do, why isn't it a little bit easier? You know, I think we all have that feeling here once in a while, you know, that thing. God, God won't give you more than you can handle, but at some 
points in my life, I felt he overestimated me quite a bit because I sure didn't feel like I could handle some of the stuff he put me through. But obviously, I made it through, you know. So, um, you know, a lot of people have asked me. We went from basically from 1.3 million dollars in debt. 31 months later, uh, we were making a seven-figure income, and uh, and then just a couple months after that, we were totally out of debt. And a few months after, I should say, we were totally out of debt, and then paid our houses off, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, our primary house. And so um, people ask me, well, how did you do it? How is not the question. It's why. It's, if you can find a big enough why, the how will work itself out. I think it was Henry Ford that said, the man that knows how to do something will always be a slave to the man that knows why mm-hmm. to do something. And if you look at any company, any any great company, the, the person that runs it is the visionary. He doesn't know how to run press seven or how to you know, sew the genes together, whatever. He just, he's got the vision of the company. Now, he may have learned those details along the way, but he doesn't know how to do it anymore. He, he's the visionary. So the, the why is so important. And, and quite frankly, my mother-in-law told me I couldn't do it. So that was a big driver for me. Uh, I love that. <laughs> and, and we get along great now, by the way. We just took them on a Mediterranean cruise for a month, and they loved it. So, yeah, we're, we're good now. I love I love that. But going back to that point, I want to emphasize that point, the why. I, I, I This is something that I've kind of morphed into over the last five years, and I agree with you 100%. I think too often the, the failures come because you're right. You, you, you're so worried about the tactics and the how. But if you listen to that calling, and you, you mentioned that here just a little while ago, and I, I'm a firm believer of that. You've got to know what your purpose is, and if you've got a calling, you got to listen to it, and that is attached to your why, or it's pointing towards your why anyway. And if you can define that and you can listen to that, I agree with you. The how kind of falls into place. But it is. It's tough. And and even though and I feel like I'm trying to find mine calling, but there are days when I feel stuck. And I think when I feel stuck, it's because I'm I'm focusing on like kind of the tactics and the how, right? I mean, how, how, you've got yeah. to feel stuck sometimes, don't you? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I still <laughs> from time to time feel that, even though in my heart of hearts, I mean, I, I know it. I've told my wife, I've told my kids, I've told my parents, like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, and God has not shown me anything else. But that doesn't mean you don't still have doubts. I mean, I think I think any leader would tell you um, that he has doubts. She has doubts. There are times when you, you get a gut shot, and you wonder, you question, wow, am I really making the right decision here? Is this really what I'm supposed to do? And then, so sometimes you just got to sit back, reflect, look at the whole picture. Which, you know, I love that saying. It's really hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. Yeah, that's why. That's why you need a mentor. You know, that, that's why it's so important to sit, be able to sit down with somebody and, and bounce ideas off of them. And you know, that that's been key to uh, whatever little success that we've had. Is we've had uh, some great mentors, uh, particularly Orrin Lloyd Woodward and, and uh, my pastor Tom Aspel has been. Awesome, and uh, you know, it's just, just that you can't put a price tag on that. So, I mean, I would recommend any of your listeners, if you can get any time around somebody, you know, that saying, define what you want, learn from somebody who has what you want, go out and do what that person did. If you define what you want, and you find somebody's got that or portions of that, you can get time around them and take it. Yeah, buy their lunch, wash their car, whatever you can do. I mean, uh, that's uh, you can't buy that kind of time. I would, I would buy it if Warren, if Warren Woodward charged me. I'd pay him, but I'm thankful that he doesn't. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We were talking, you and I, before the recording, and I told you I'd saw Les Brown speak this weekend, and he said he his yeah. whole 
presentation was on that was about mentorship and you can't do it yourself and he and he chronicled his whole life and he had some pictures up there all the way going back to his mother and everything else and and every you know and he had no idea how his life was going to turn out and i'm sure you, you would probably say the same thing and you don't know what's going to happen you know 20 years from now with 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 your life but he he said every step of the way there was always some mentor and someone that's showing him that there was something like you said you, and when you're in the frame or in the picture you can't see the the frame and uh yeah. and uh he's uh he he said that too and uh it's right and so i think that's great that uh you've tapped into the the idea and i believe everything that we're saying if the listeners can understand that you've got to get around uh, I, I guess look at it this way if you want to become a better golfer what do you do do you call your drinking buddies or do you surround yourself by right. better, or do you surround yourself by better golfers and you, you, you surround yourself by better golfers. And even though that may make you uncomfortable and you don't know them, that's the point. You know, you got to get to grow. You got to get out of the comfort zone, period. Yeah, the people you associate with, the books you read, the CDs you listen to, the podcasts you watch, that's what made you who you are right now. Yep. So if you want to be somebody different, somebody better, you got to stretch. You got to go be around something different and better, right? Yep. So I agree with you 100%. Well, the genesis of the book, I mean, everything we're talking about is kind of led, leading up there, first, especially your first book, of uh, The Voyage of a Viking. I've, I've kind of just been diving in, and, and I know we said I was going to talk about Section 5 of this book. That was kind of the theme, but we've kind of been doing that in a roundabout way. I mean, in a sense, it is one of my – it's a great book, and, and, it, and it certainly highlights, you know, coming through adversity and, and becoming, you know, the, on the subtitle of your book is How a Man of Action Can Become a Man of Grace. And we've talked a lot about that or leading up to that point, but – the reason why I want to talk about Section 5, <clears throat> and we've, we've already been highlighting it, is that, that you know, all, and, and you've titled that chapter, that section, All Warriors Have Wounds to be Mended. I just think that's so powerful. Talk to me a little bit about that mm-hmm. chapter, about the book and specifically that chapter. Yeah, um, you know, everybody has different things that's happened to them in their life. And I read a book, uh, um, I've read several books, but... Uh, um, I read a book years ago, and, and uh, I'm not going to mention it because I don't necessarily agree with everything here. But anyhow, it just challenged uh, men in particular that every man has some sort of uh, wound from his childhood, teenage years, whatever, that he hasn't dealt with. And he didn't say some people, but every man. And so some are more severe than others. Some of them have... Uh, actually, some of them have dealt with them and, and moved on. And not, I'm not big on, you know, hey, go and, and tell me your whole life story. And, okay, let's go back to when you were four years old. And certainly there's time and place for that if you have to. But, um, you know, defeat, failure, whatever you want to call it, it, it can be a blessing. And, you know, many times it is. Defeat forces us to, uh, to face reality and, and admit whatever our weaknesses are. And so, um, some some people have things that happen to them, some some wounds in their childhood that maybe they didn't cause themselves. So they think I can't deal with that because I didn't do it. And the most common one that I see, my wife and I, uh, you know, are blessed. From time to time, we do a little bit of coaching and mentoring with some folks. And, and one of the things we talk about most probably is marriage. And one of the biggest issues we see come up in marriage. Outside of money, the second one would be um, sexual abuse. It's amazing how many uh, people have been either abused, 
know somebody's been abused or married to somebody's been abused. I mean, and so that's a perfect example of there's a wound that affected somebody, and a lot of people blind out don't remember it, or it could be an alcoholic father, it could be a, a verbally abusive mother, it could be a, a parent that just didn't pay attention to you. Whatever it is, uh, we all have these wounds. And if we don't at least identify it, and then and that's why I wrote my second book, Confidence Champion, if we don't at least identify it, then we can't ever fix it. So everybody has wounds, everybody gets beat up, everybody gets knocked around, and the guy that says, or the girl that says, no, I I had a perfect childhood, everything was great, man, I, my parents were Warden June Cleaver. Well, maybe that's true, but 99% of the population, that is not true for, there's going to be some, some kind of uh, wound that they got to... Uh, deal with. And so uh, I think that's the first thing is, you know, you don't have to dwell on it. You don't have to be embarrassed about it, but you might want to deal with it. You might want to at least identify and figure out if you need to deal with it. And I think that's like, there again where a mentor comes. So. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of, and a firm believer of, of finding that mentor, finding somebody to dive into that past. It's, it's funny how you can watch people um, give advice and mentor somebody else, but then we won't say it to ourselves. And, I, and it's hard for me to understand why we don't or why we limit ourselves so much. Why do we have so many limiting beliefs and why do we have so many um, lies of the past, I guess? And that kind of goes into your next book, which Confidence of a Champion, which really is a book that helps you kind of let go of those lies of the past and kind of start to, to squash those limiting beliefs. Is that yeah. You know, I was talking to a, a guy that I'm uh, mentoring yesterday. And he happens to be an author as well, and, and uh, I won't share his name just because I'm sharing the story. He wouldn't mind if I shared the story. But uh, anyhow, I said, uh, you know, to the point you just made, we all we all say these things, but we don't do it ourselves. I said, hey, you know, chapter so-and-so in your book, if I told you to go back there and read that, that would fix this problem, wouldn't it? He goes, ooh, touche, you're right. And the same goes for me. You know, just because you write a book doesn't mean you have it all figured out. That saying, you know, people say, hey, the guy wrote the book on that. Just because the guy wrote the book on it doesn't mean he knows everything, you know. <laughs> it means that he's at least working in that area, had a little bit of victory there, and uh, is overcoming. So, you know, these these wounds, Chapter 5, is all about identifying your wounds. I mean, think about, uh, I, I talked about Steve Jobs in there. So here's a guy, drops out of college, and, uh, I mean, probably everybody knows this story, but it's just stunning to me how how countercultural it is and how what a massive success it is. He drops out of college, Bill Spears, him and Wozniak, and, and uh, they eventually build this company big, go public, whatever, and then eventually he gets basically fired from his own company that he put blood, sweat, and tears. You can't imagine how many hours this guy mm-hmm. and his creative. I mean, think about this. This is something he invested in. And, and I mean, people, uh, they get severely depressed and some commit suicide when they lose their job. I mean, this is a guy who built a company and then, long story short, years go by, he comes back, comes in power, and, of course, Apple is the big company that it is now. I mean, what a fantastic story of a guy that didn't give up. But, man, he had some wounds that he talks about. If any of his books you read, he talks about how bitter he was and how he had to deal with that through those years. So he actually needed that time to be separated before he could come back and effectively leave. And so I would just say everybody has those periods. Just as Steve Jobs did, deal with it. And, uh, and, and you can deal with it. I think that's that's probably my message to you. You can deal with it. You can have victory over it. Yeah, this is the I think this is my eighty fifth interview with you and um or I mean you're my eighty fifth interview and one thing that has been so inspiring to me or educational for me is everybody I've talked to in, in varying degrees of success and 
and what we consider successful and fame and fortune and all that, the one consistent theme that everybody seems to talk about is the, as you put in your book, the stick to it. Uh, can I say, am I saying that right? Stick to it, Ivness, right? The ability to, yeah, the ability to yeah. bounce back, the resiliency. The, the only difference between you and the next person or the person that we deem as successful is, is the successful entrepreneur is the ability to bounce back from a setback. And, uh, we, and the beautiful thing is we all have that same choice. We can bounce back from any adversity that, that comes in our way. And that's what I love about yeah. your story. And yeah, one, Go ahead. Well, one, I was going to say one of my favorite quotes from Zig Ziglar was, most people are about as committed to their dream as a kamikaze pilot on his 13th mission. <laughs> <laughs> if you understand what a kamikaze pilot is, <laughs> right, it's yeah. really quite funny. But that's it's right. true. Most people, they get one little struggle and they quit. How many How many kids are going to be an astronaut or an engineer or the president of the United States when they're nine years old? Yeah. How many at 16? How many at 21? It dwindles massively. And by the time you get to 21, less than one-tenth of one percent or whatever, because they think of this, they settle for that. They think of this, they settle for that. But they let all these things, uh, all the struggles that they went through, rather than form them, shape them, mold them, they let it crack them, crumble them, and dilute who they really are. And it's sad. And that's why I love like what you're doing with those leadership. It's, it's fantastic that people can go to this website and learn these principles because uh, that, that, that's what our country needs. Hey, I'm not against college. I'm all for it. But you know, we're over a trillion dollars in college debt, student loan debt in our country. Now $400 billion of that is in default. Something's wrong. Me. People need to spend more time reading the stuff that you're putting on your website, and uh, you know what we we produce. Hopefully, uh, they agree with that too. Then, learning quadratic equations, etc. Now, certainly, there's time for that, but it's not it's not as much as what our country thinks. No, and that's, that's part of the problem. Yeah. I think you see people in, like you said, it's, it's true when people are 25, it's almost like people die when they 25, the masses die at 25 and they go on autopilot until they, they physically check out until their body yeah. leaves. And I, you know, and you look at it and you just like, I, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to get the degree, get the job. And you guys, you and Orrin and, and Chris are living testaments of that. You know, you guys all did that. We went through that. I'm gone through that. And I've, I'm with you. I'm of that camp now. It's like, you know what? And my wife said that to me the other day. He goes, well, you got to tell my oldest daughter, she's 16. She goes, well, you got to go get a college and got to get a degree. You got to get that. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if they don't want to, I'm not going to fret about that. I want them to live like, like you said, find out their why and drive to that and live it with unbridled passion and aggression. You know, and I don't mean aggression like mean. I mean, just, you know, that aggressive uh, entrepreneurial spirit. That's what I want them to drive yeah. for. Live for their passion because otherwise you're going to be dead. You're going to be dead at 25. Yeah, amen to that. I'll, I'll make one point on that, but good, Richard, because my year sixteen year old, my son is seventeen. He graduated. We homeschool kids, and people think, oh, he graduated with a perfect four point and he calculates and all that stuff. But he had to have to graduate. Anyhow, um, at his graduation open house, he actually had a T-shirt made. He didn't want to field the questions. He said, "It says, no, I'm not going to college. There's other ways to become successful." <laughs> kind of bold, but. I've had to talk with him to define, learn, do. And I told him, if you want to go to college, you can go to college, but I need to know why you want to go and what, what you're going to get out of it. You can't just go to go this conveyor belt education. So here's what happened to me. Now, you got to remember, when I went to college, working 60 hours a week, going to college three nights, studying another two, it just was not fun. And then I realized that 
my college professors didn't have what I wanted out of life. Like one of the things I wanted was have a house on Lake Fenton in Michigan. And I'm a college professor. So, so here's, here's the analogy I came up with. I like Mercedes-Benz automobiles, nice cars. Maybe you like being good, whatever you like. I, I like Mercedes-Benz automobiles. I live in Cape Coral, Florida here. And I can drive all the way down, down through the Keys. You know, the Keys go down there, uh, and all the way to Key West. And when you get to Key West on a clear day, you can see Cuba. And you can drive your Mercedes-Benz all the way down to Key West, but you cannot take it to Cuba because it's the wrong vehicle. If you try, drive as fast as you can off the end of Key West, you're going to sink. You need a boat. It's the same thing for me with what I was doing for a living. As good as it was, as nice as my Mercedes-Benz was, it was the wrong vehicle. My job was the wrong vehicle to get what I wanted. I wanted to be financially independent. I wanted to be debt-free and have time with my family, both those things. And to have that, as far as I can tell, you need to be an entrepreneur of some sort. And so, um, you know, if somebody's listening, they love Corporate America, fantastic. Because somebody needs to do that, and I'm, I'm very grateful that you make cars. I'm very grateful that you make furniture, whatever you do. Um, but, you know, I, I would just say don't sell yourself short because to this point you haven't figured out how to be an entrepreneur because you can't. Colonel Sanders didn't do it until he was because started getting pension checks. He started Kentucky Fried Chicken, so it's never too late. Yep. Well, it is. I guess it is too late when you're dead. But Yeah, I guess the, the greatest sadness, I think, would be to be on your deathbed and all those dreams and passions standing around your bed. You know, as you're taking your last breath and they're looking at you saying, you know, you were the one that were supposed to, you know what I mean? All those un, unchallenged or those un, unfulfilled dreams stand around your deathbed saying, you know, you were the one you were supposed to. And I think that would be an ultimate tragedy. And I think everybody, you're right. I believe you got to surround yourself by the people who believe that. And there are a lot of people out there. You guys are living examples of it with life business. And um, and there's, there's, there's tons of opportunities for people out there. Your biggest challenge, I think, is just is is yourself, and I know it is for me, and I know it is for you, Tim, and and it has been. And, but the the testimony is is that uh, it can be overcome. It's just you got to yeah, surround sure. you, you got to surround yourself by mentors for sure. Well, gosh, we've talked a lot. I know I didn't get to Confidence of a Champion uh, was your latest book, uh, Voyage of a Viking. Both those books are pretty much highlight everything we've been talking about here in the last uh, forty minutes or so. <laughs> Um, where can they find you, Tim? Where, where can they learn more information about you? Uh, well, I, I would, the best place to go is uh, www.the-lifebusiness.com. And uh, all of our products are available on there. You can uh, um, sign up as a customer and buy them there. You you can just, uh, you know, buy them outright. You don't even have to sign up as a customer, I guess. So, uh, but yeah, the, all, we have uh, my two books and, of course, many other Great books that will help you in all areas of life. We teach and we call the eight F states, family, fitness, finance, fun, freedom, friends, uh, fitness, following. So uh, all areas of life, but we try to influence so the whole purpose, whole person um, can be improved. Uh, anyhow, just absolutely appreciate uh, having me on here today, Richard. It's been a blessing getting to know you and, and uh, reading through some of the stuff on those leadership. I really appreciate what you're doing and how you're trying to make the world a better place. It's awesome to have somebody else in the battle with us. Well, I appreciate that. And again, I think you guys are doing great things too. I'm, I'm big fans of, of uh, you and Oren and Chris. I think you guys are, are doing great things. And I know you've helped a lot of people along the way. And again, I'm not a member of Life, but I, I think you guys are doing great, great works. And I highly recommend people checking them out. I know a lot of people who are involved with Life and it's done great things to them and their family. So I, I encourage people to check you guys out. 
Awesome. All right, Tim. Thanks for coming on the show. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.